0: for a third Dortmund goal in the first half. Long ball, good ball. Philippe Young. Outstanding football again.
1: Hello all, and welcome to the Yellow Wall podcast. Know your ears, do not deceive you. I'm your host for today, Matthias Souk. No Stefan Butzko. He's got some domestic housekeeping duties that are unfortunately preventing him from uh, recording today. But I am joined by one of our absolute top contributors to the Yellow Wall, Lars Polman. Hello, Lars.
0: Hello, Matthias, and my belated congratulations to you and all the veterans, dare I say, for the 200th episode last week.
1: Ah, Thank you very much. Yes, it it made me feel very old. It was was lovely. (laughs) Um, So we have a lot to get to this week. We are going to look back at Gladbach, look ahead to Real Madrid and Augsburg, so naturally, last we are going to start with the emphatic six-one drubbing of Borussia Mönchengladbach. What were your takeaways from this match? Uh,
0: I, typically, I would say uh, when Stefan asked this question, that I don't want to take away too much because I don't know how good the opponent is. And I'm even though Gladbach was certainly the most talented squad Dortmund have faced so far in the Bundesliga, I still have. My doubts about, uh, yellow wallpot favorite coach, uh, Dieter Hacking leading that team and, and a center back partnership containing Matthias Ginter and Yannick Westergaard doesn't instill too much confidence in me either. So that said, it was certainly a rampant performance from Dortmund, uh, deserving their, the large margin of victory. Uh, I mean, if not for the real match, uh, ahead of them on on Tuesday. I think they could have gone into double digits. They were so much better than Gladbach. So it was certainly an awesome performance. And when we look back at the first few games of the season in the Bundesliga, which they won apart from the Freiburg match, but they, they failed to create too many scoring opportunities. And now in the in this one English week, as we say in Germany, they scored, what, 13 goals against Cologne, Hamburg, and uh, Gladbach, uh, or, or 14 even. I mean, that's uh, that's a statement. And right now, I think there's no argument that Dortmund are the best team in the Bundesliga.
1: Yeah, I I have to say the first 20 minutes of the match, I tweeted out that I was, and I meant it, very impressed by... Gladbach's positioning, uh, their defensive discipline. I, I was like, oh, God, this is going to be like Freiburg, just not getting through, not getting through. And then it seemed like the tempo started to pick up a little bit. Um, fullbacks and wingers started to interchange a little bit more about who was making, who was stretching the play and who was sitting a little bit tighter. And gaps started to open. And after the first goal... More gaps open. And then after the second goal, I mean, Gladbach just fell apart after that. So I was great start for Gladbach. And then it was almost like Dieter Hecking. I don't even know. I mean, Dieter Hecking looked like he wanted to just sink into the ground uh, every time the camera showed him, but their team just completely fell apart. And like you said, Ginta and Vestagat, not the best center back pairing, obviously. And Ginta, Lost the ball that led to Dortmund's second goal.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, talking about the sixth goal later with Jonas Hofmann's wayward clean clearance, I think cynics would say they did more in this game for Dortmund than during their entire careers at the club, which is obviously a bit a bit harsh on them. But uh, for Ginter, Ginter's return to to Dortmund, especially with him feeling. I I don't want to say mistreated, but maybe uh, underappreciated at Dortmund over his three years with the club. It certainly wasn't the game he was expecting. But generally speaking, I would agree with you that Gladbach were set up pretty well for the first twenty or twenty odd minutes, and they had the first big chance through Tor Azar. Uh, and if Azar, and then later Stindl in the later in the first half, if they could finish in this game. Uh, it it wouldn't have been a better for Dortmund because uh, before the second goal, as you mentioned, uh, I think it was relatively open in terms of the chances both teams created, and uh, Dortmund could easily have gone down uh, against Gladbach in this game. Again, being relatively open behind the last line of defense, and then Weigel in his first start lost the ball to uh, might have been Raphael. I'm not entirely sure. So uh, even though they were so rampant going forward and obviously a 6-1 scoreline is absolutely fantastic and they are still Bundesliga leaders and all that, we still saw in this game in a few glimpses here and there the weaknesses that still exist. And I still am pretty sure there will come teams that will be able to exploit them as we saw with Spurs in the Champions League. But also I think there are a few Bundesliga teams who are too good and have too much individual attacking quality to uh, to not make Dortmund pay for their openness but right now i think it's hard to to not just appreciate how much how much fun dortmund are having on the pitch and how much fun we're having watching them
1: yeah it it almost seemed because like you said stindel had a few opportunities racing forward and he fluffed his lines completely and i wonder if it was just because of the the scoreline, the way it was growing and the way Dortmund were dominant, that psychologically he just wasn't switched on. Really, it's it's what it seemed like. It was odd. Obviously, he scored the one goal, which unfortunately kind of broke that opportunity for another clean sheet. But I agree with you; there were opportunities there. Uh, for, for Gladbach to make it a lot more interesting match. The thing that really surprised me beyond that is because I did watch the entirety of Gladbach's match against Leipzig, where they pressed Leipzig high, where they played really, really well and toe to toe. And then they came out and sat so deep and were so passive. It, I was expecting a little bit more of a Hamburg style approach, press Dortmund. Uh, but with more quality, because Gladbach have more quality than Hamburg, in my opinion. So it was, it was a bit odd. Uh, it, it's, I guess, uh, Dieter Hecking's marvelous reputation in this pod uh, will definitely go on <laughs> after after that performance, without a doubt.
0: Yeah. And, and I think Dortmund also expected them to be a bit more aggressive, which is why, uh, I mean, I mentioned before that Weigel made his first start and, and maybe it's just the lack of familiarity with Bosch's system after missing all the preseason friendlies, but it, it kind of felt like he was situated much deeper than Nuri Schein had in the, had been in the first few games of the season and, and Bosch even. Said or no Weigel said after the game that Bosch told him to push a bit more higher up the pitch, now, so I don't know if if that was something that Weigel just instinctively did because he he's more accustomed to playing a bit deeper, or if Dortmund actually wanted him to be a bit more cautious because of the quality of uh Azar, Stindl Stindel and Raphael because I think Dortmund were wary of. Uh, the spaces they do allow from time to time. Um, And in the first 20 odd minutes, it felt like a bit of a stalemate until the, the first uh, chance of the game fell to Socrates for Dortmund, I think.
1: Yeah, I I agree. And uh, it looks like uh, we, we do have our regular host back
2: here. Stefan, welcome to the yellow wall. Hello yeah thanks for welcoming me and sorry for the delay (laughs) I've got someone coming over here to measure our fridge so it might be that I'm gone for five minutes but of course after the 6-1 win I didn't want to miss the show (laughs) so hey Lars hey Matthias hope you're doing well so I'm here now what were you talking about?
0: We're already on uh, to Augsburg, Stefan, obviously. Yeah,
1: yeah, we're, we're almost done.
0: When, when it's not you doing the, the moderating job, it's, it's a much swifter operation.
2: Alright, so I'll continue with my prediction <laughs> for the Augsburg.
0: Mission. No, we were uh,
2: actually coming,
1: I guess, towards a, a final discussion on Gladbach and uh, figured might as well put in your two cents you know we already talked about that we were a little bit surprised that Gladbach were passive in the sense of they didn't press Dortmund quite like they did with Leipzig but the first 20 minutes they looked really really good uh, defensively and after that they kind of fell apart. Ginta of course playing a role in that. Hecking's tactics playing a role in that of course and um, but Last pointed out uh, once again that Dortmund were vulnerable to counterattacks. If Gladbach would have been a little bit more focused, Stefan, what were your thoughts on this match? Obviously, six goals are always great, but not everything was a hundred percent perfect.
2: No, I was amazed by how open Dortmund were. Uh, I think we saw it first when Julian Weigel gave the ball away in midfield and. I mean, it's a first start this campaign, so you can let it slide. But there was a simple long ball from a fullback. I think their left back. It was from Gladbach that also caught Dortmund out uh, just over the top, and uh, yeah, that basically did the job for Gladbach. And and of course there was the uh, <laughs> yeah toten Lucas Pischer giveaway, which. Also, more or less happens every match now, right into the feet of Rafael. And, uh, yeah, I was amazed that Gladbach could not take advantage because that's exactly what I predicted on the, on the last show that Gladbach, uh, uh unlike a lot of other Bundesliga teams could capitalize on Dortmund's, yeah, being so very susceptible to counterattack. So I guess, uh, we have to wait for Real Madrid to finally do that, uh, as Tottenham already did. So yeah, of course. The six-one win was great, but Dieter Hacking said after the match that uh, his side could have easily also scored five goals, and uh, yeah, that's that's a bit telling. So I think, as emphatic as the win was, uh, we both have to raise our fingers, Mister Lars Paulmann and I, being the Matthias Sommer on this podcast, and, and say that this game could have easily went in a whole nother different direction. So um yeah. I think there is a lot of light, but there's also a bit of shade in, in this game. Uh, did you guys already talk about Maximilian Philipp? Because I think we haven't really highlighted him too much so far in no, this podcast. No, I go think ahead. Go ahead, go for by it. By now, because, uh, I mean, a brace, a second brace for Dortmund and assist, that was, that was just a really, really great game. And I think uh, he deservedly got the 10 out of 10 rating from ESPN. <laughs> and uh yeah, I I have to say it's it's really great to see how seamless Peter Busch can switch players around, especially at the attacking department. Yamolenko was more or less the man of the match in the attacking department against Hamburg. He was out, Philip in, and uh yeah, he continued where he left off and I think Philip would make a really great wide receiver in the NFL. I don't know how, how good he can catch, but his runs are definitely very good. And yeah, his teammates now are catching up on that and finding him. And, uh, yeah, I think the perfect replacement for Marco Royce, who also is very well when it comes to, to darting runs and to open up spaces. And it was really great to see how big the center back pairing in, in, uh, in quotation marks of, of, Vestergaard and Ginter was and, and how many misunderstanding uh, misunderstandings occurred because of them and Philip making these runs that was just incredible how terrible that center back pairing were and how great Dortmund made use of that and I think the the assist for the third goal for Aubameyang was just amazing where Philip controlled the ball with his left foot and then immediately put it over to the right to Aubameyang who then yeah, tucked it away nicely. That was a great goal. Also a great pass of Socrates, of course. But I think uh, Maximilian Philip, you know, there was a lot of debate about his 20 million euro transfer fee. I think by now we can already start discussing whether it's a bargain or not because he's doing quite well.
1: Well, if we talk about our wing play, uh, it's been absolutely fantastic. Pulisic having a great season. Yamolenko automatically having a great impact. Um, Maxi Philip, same thing. So I think we can all agree that Marco Royce, when he's fit, will slot back in just because he's such a world class player. But, um, Lars, do you think that there is any room in this side for one Andre Schule anymore?
0: Uh, me nah, i don't really know uh, the 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 problem is uh, right now they have this great three man rotation which i talked about i think 2 weeks ago where uh, basically you you just start two of them and unless the game is decided like it was against gladbach where where yamolenko could get 90 minutes of rest because he wasn't needed i think typically bosch will use two of those three guys and the third one will come off the bench to uh, introduce some freshness both Polisic and Yamulenko should be pretty good off the bench in terms of their profile. Polisic we know of is is dynamite off the bench uh, was at least last season. Uh So they have this well working, well oiled machine of a three man rotation on the wing. So I don't know how Schürrle, uh might figure into that. Now, obviously, uh, us being a Dortmund podcast, we have always to we have to always be wary of injuries occurring and the way Pulisic is being treated by some of his opponents, uh, it, he's not going to stay injury-free forever. Uh, I think Dortmund were pretty lucky that Dembele survived the onslaught last season, so now the, now Pulisic is the main target for hacker uh, Christian defense, I guess. Uh, so um, I could easily see Schürrle being needed in that rotation at some point in the coming months, but certainly he's going to have a tough time overtaking any of these guys in the natural packing order. And then the question becomes, does he maybe give Aubameyang a bit of a spell here and there? Because we know uh, from uh, when Aubameyang was at the Fcon last season that uh, Schürrle can fill out that role somewhat nicely at least. And uh, it seems as though Bosch is a bit hesitant, understandably, I guess, to uh, play Alexander Isak too much. But Uwameyang isn't getting any younger. and He seems to me to have a few knocks here and there this season that weren't there in the the years past. I mean, he had a large wrap around his thighs in in warm-ups before, I think, the Hamburg match, for example. So I think it wouldn't be a bad idea to give Schürrle an opening into the team by spelling Meyang for 20, 30 minutes here and there. But other than that, he's going to have a tough time. And the way it's going uh Dortmund have the luxury of being able to ease Marco Reus back into action whenever he comes back in 2018, which should be an advantage because in the last few seasons, whenever Reus came back from his many injuries, oftentimes he was needed to provide a spark right away and, and didn't really have the ability to ease back into action. And I think this should be helpful in the long run, even though, uh, as we know with Reus, the, the long run is always only about five, six games.
2: <laughs> speaking of Aubameyang though I don't know if you guys mentioned it but uh, in the all-time score list he overtook Timo Konietzka this weekend with his hat-trick and uh, moved into fourth place and uh, I think two more goals are needed to pip Lothar Emmerich so uh it's just amazing to see in what kind of CS Aubameyang is moving by now I mean of course he has the best team around him I, w- I would say in-, in terms of being provided scoring opportunities but still you know he is doing very well for Dortmund and uh, yeah it's, what 27 goals now until he has uh, beaten Michael Zorc's record of uh, having scored the most goals for the club so that's actually not unrealistic that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang this year will uh, become Borussia Dortmund's top scorer of all time. I mean
0: we're you, you said he's playing with the the best teammates or whatever but I think the most uh, impressive step or, or thing about this, uh, scoring rampage that Uwameyang has been on since the winter of 2015 or so is that he's doing it for the for the third straight season with the third supporting cast. First, he was benefiting from the likes of Mikitarian and Gunduan. Then he had the, the great relationship with, uh, Usman Dembele last season. And now it's seemingly a, a new. Partnership developing uh, nicely with Philip, um, as we saw against Gladbach, but also, and but Yamo-Lenko also Yamolenko too, yeah. and, and Pulisic is also uh, a good creator for Aubameyang because he's so direct. So it, it's not easy for strikers to get accustomed to new teammates uh, basically every season and and. Obameyang is always doing well, not only over the the run of the entire campaign, but especially towards the start of the campaign when everything's fresh and and, uh, the the fabled automatisms still have to set in. So I think I think we've had this, or I've certainly had this conversation on Twitter a lot, but I think Obameyang is still a bit underrated and people who peg him as just a a tap in merchant of, or whatever I think are selling him short. I mean, uh, a tap in merchant doesn't, uh, provide that assist for, uh, Philip in the first place for the, uh, for the opener against Gladbach, for example, because he not only was a, a pretty good cross and, and he uses his athleticism, but also he evaded, uh, his marker and, and made a, Made an intelligent run into the deep space uh, for Weigel to find him, which uh, I mean, a, 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 just a poacher doesn't even think about making that run. But Obameyang is uh, is more than that. Well, I think what also is amazing about Young, we can't forget that when
1: Dortmund bought him, the main goal for him was to play as a winger, not necessarily as the main striker. So, um, and and the other thing that I believe is, you know, obviously, the longest rumors with Obama Young last summer were linking him with a move to uh, PSG. I think at that point, the Neymar move was probably already in some form being discussed. So the possibility is the irony of the Neymar move is that uh, it took Dembele away, but it left Aubameyang in. Here, especially because he came out with the comments that he really didn't take the Chinese leagues uh, seriously because he doesn't find them overly professional. So it's kind of ironic if we lose Dembele but kept Aubameyang because of the Neymar transfer. And I'm sure you guys will agree that we'll take that trade any day of the week at this point.
2: Yeah, definitely. I wrote uh, for ESPN about this uh, basically asking the question what if Aubameyang just decides to stay and embraces the number 17 which he is wearing and of course is Didier's old number and uh, hence you know I think by now he could also just say things are going so well at Dortmund I have everything here that I want that I'll just stay here and become a proper Dortmund legend when I retire I guess Of of course, there's the one one thing that uh, would argue against it that uh, Aubameyang will probably get an offer from another club, which will double or triple his wages, and we all know he has a very extravagant lifestyle and he needs to fund that. And uh, yeah, he is not playing forever, so yeah, he has to think about his future after retirement, of course, and uh, I guess wants to earn as much money as possible, but. I think there's a very good case to be made that uh, Aubameyang, yeah, needs to uh, or can stay. And now I have to open the door, so let's go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to to make perhaps one final point on
0: Aubameyang, and that uh, the the Dede example is actually perfect because just like Dede, uh which I guess many people don't realize, uh, with the with the situation being a few years back, but Dede basically wanted to leave every summer himself and uh, i think he came closest in in 2003 or so when he was almost off to roma but uh, the club didn't want to sell him or whatever and and despite not getting his wish uh, to leave the club they, they always performed at the at a pretty high if not the highest level of Dortmund's team i mean in those dark years after the near financial collapse, I think uh, Dede was one of the few bright spots in the team, at, apart from all these youngsters. Uh, and and it's actually a perfect analogy for what Aubameyang is doing, even though, obviously, Dortmund are playing on a higher level. But he wanted to leave. We know for a fact that he did uh, in, in this summer. He probably wanted to leave before. I mean, he was also off to Roma almost after his first season. Uh, Klopp was ready to uh, sell him because he didn't really click uh, as a right winger. I mean, uh, looking back at it now, it's almost funny how, how little playing time Uwe Myung actually got in the second half of that season. So, uh, but the, the point I wanted to make is that Uwe Myung is so professional, despite being uh, so extravagant off the field, that he's always performing at a high level and he's never pouting uh, about not getting his uh, transfer moves or whatever. So uh, I, I think there's a lot to be said about the professionalism of Aubameyang on the pitch, and I think it's something that Michel Zorc has mentioned before—that that he absolutely loves the player for his ability to leave everything on the pitch, despite whatever happens of it.
1: I, I totally agree. I mean, aside from a few odd tweets and comments over the course of the summer, uh, even Peter Bosch in the press conference ahead of the Gladbach match. Said he has an understanding for Obama Young, that he was disappointed that he didn't get the, tr- and they just said the transfer he wanted, which was PSG. Uh, China, apparently, according to Obama Young himself, was never a real topic for him because he just didn't trust it. He didn't trust the professionalism of the Chinese leagues. So I commend him for that because there are a lot of money chasers who went to China, and to a certain degree are actually paying the price due to the lack of professionalism that often gets reported from over there. And so everybody understands that he wanted to go to PSG. I understood it at the time. It didn't happen. I think it's probably because of the Neymar deal. And so, you know, we're, we're the happy benefactors. Last, uh, just like against Hamburg, I was very impressed by Emma Topak again, but I want to go into a different... Uh, I guess pairing, uh, really for the first time for a long time in the match. And that was Götze and Dahut. I think Dahut probably played his, or not probably played his best match so far in a Dortmund shirt. What, what were your thoughts on Götze and Dahut in that, I guess, double eight role or double ten role, depending on if they were attacking or defending?
0: Yeah, it's funny. You should uh, mention those two and, uh, Toprak in the, in the same breath, if you like, because I, those three, I think, uh, are players I always want to see starting for Dortmund and, and certainly this time around against Gladbach with Weigel starting for the first time after his broken ankle. Uh, it was the, the, the midfield three I want to see over the course of the season emerge as the number one option. And what I also predict will be the number one option when those three are available because the, the, the characteristics of those three guys match up the best in my opinion. I think. Dahoud's aggressiveness uh, uh, when the opponent is in possession is underrated. I think Götze's strategic mind is severely underrated. And and even last season, when he was still uh, fighting his uh, problems that uh, kept him out of action for the second half of the season, even then Götze was very good in counter pressing and and in detecting situations where he needs to advance and all those all those things. So I think uh Götze and Dahoud is the best pairing Dortmund have not only uh, because of the absolute great uh, technical abilities of the two guys and their passing qualities and and their potential to create scoring opportunities for Dortmund's front three but also as i said because they know um how to defend in this uh, active Bosch style that isn't the easiest to implement for some of the uh, midfielders Dortmund have. So like, I, I I don't really think that Gonzalo Castro can do all those things that the and Götze to do, even though he's done pretty well to start the season. I don't think even though Kagawa is very good in counter pressing, I don't know if he's uh, aggressive enough at times. I don't know that he has the, the passing range from deep to play those positions the same way. So yes, I, I'll, Ultimately, I I want to see that midfield three of Weigel, Dahoud and Götze, especially in the bigger games. And I'm not sure we'll see that again against uh, Real just because Bosch has rotated a lot uh, in those positions. But I think down the road, especially towards the meaty end of the season in 2018, I think those three are the way to go.
1: Yeah, and and we'll preview Real in a little bit. And I have to wholeheartedly agree with you even though of course you forgot the best central midfielder we have Sebastian Rode um but I'm just going to ignore the fact that you left him out um <laughs> uh it's uh, it's interesting cuz Mark Bartra came in later in the match uh I think you've said it before that you strongly believe moving forward the center back pairing will be Toprak
0: and Bartra uh I don't believe that it will be, but I firmly believe it should be, even though Zoukates has done pretty well uh, in, in recent games. And certainly his, his pass for the third goal was eye opening because I just didn't think even without any kind of pressure on him, he was able to do that physically, if you like. So, but I think what I believe firmly is that Ulma Topak is the most complete center back Dortmund have. And I think they need Mark Bartra next to him, uh, for games against good opposition, uh, who, opposition which knows how to take a midfield out of the game to a, a bigger extent. So ultimately, I think those two should play together. But I think on the other hand, Socrates is a very important as a leading figure on the pitch. And the indication so far uh, is that he's going to be a regular starter and the guy next to him might be a different story.
1: Yeah, yeah. The the other thing that I thought was very interesting to see ta- from a tactical standpoint in this match was how often Götze would drop pretty back, essentially into the Weigel position to pick up the ball, and Weigel would then move much further up the pitch, and then obviously they would swap Weigel being deeper more often than not. But I thought it was a very interesting wrinkle um, that uh, kind of. I guess, um, unbalanced Gladbach a little bit more because they weren't expecting it.
0: Yeah. And, and as I said uh, earlier, Weigel was told by Bosch to push higher up the field after 20 minutes or so. And, and you could see, uh, that he lacks a bit of familiarity, as I said, with this system and, and what it requires from central midfielders. I mean, uh, Umar Topak had, uh, 180 touches or so in the game and, and, and Weigel only had 70 or 80, I think. Or it certainly wasn't, uh, what we saw under Toro basically all the time with Weigel at least being very close, if not the outright leader in terms of touches. So, uh, I think he's going to take some time to, to adapt to that against even better opposition than Gladbach. But after shaking off that early rust, I think, uh, Weigel was, was, actually excellent in the game not only his pre-assist for the uh, first goal his his own goal which was uh, quite a neat finish for a guy who's never scored a Bundesliga game before a goal before but just in general he he looked to get more comfortable on the ball uh, minute after minute and with I think or in my opinion rather Nuri Shahin tailing off quite considerably after a hot start to the season I think uh, having Weigel back is actually very important Uh, especially also uh, me being Debbie Downer again, Nuri Sahin is an injury risk all the time. So uh, you needed Weigel to come back and be a factor relatively early after his comeback from injury in in that regard. I think uh, that was passing the test with flying colors.
1: Yeah. And I think going along those lines also showing that Götze can also drop that deep and kind of work almost like a, a composer of the Dortmund orchestra from a deeper position where he can see more and pick out more things uh, with uh, Dahout and Weigel or whoever would play in those roles, rushing ahead of them, creating gaps. I think that's, that's even, even better because Weigel is great, but Götz is much better in terms of vision and, and passing and stuff like that overall, in my opinion. But um, we have now spent 30 minutes talking about this match and we still have two more matches to talk about. So, last do you have anything more you want to add about this match or shall we move on to uh, preview the Augsburg match?
0: No, nope, we can move on.
1: All right. So, yes, I know we have the Real Madrid match in between, but let's keep it Bundesliga for now. Uh, next weekend Dortmund will play against the surprising... FC uh, Augsburg, who are playing relatively well. Um, pre-pod, last you mentioned you thought Manuel Baum would be the first manager to get the sack. I said André Breitenreiter. Turns out we were both very much wrong. What has... What is in store for Dortmund against Augsburg? Is it going to be again that stand compact and then break quickly on the counter? Or can we expect... A little
0: bit more press against Dortmund. I think the first thing that awaits Dortmund is physicality. I think Augsburg will look at Dortmund playing a lot of a lot more matches than they have uh, between these two international breaks in September and October. I think they will look at Dortmund spending ninety minutes against Real Madrid during the week uh, and decide to. Give them perhaps a, a mental test also, you know, here, throwing a shoulder here and there and, and maybe coming a bit late into a challenge. Nothing, you know, uh, outrageous, nothing that, that seriously injures a player, but I think they're going to make life very uncomfortable for Dortmund players. And then going forward, I think, uh, play a lot of long balls. If, if I were, uh, Manuel Baum, I would probably, uh, put, uh Kayubi on the left wing against Pishchek and, and just sent him in uh aerial duel after aerial duel. That I mean Kayubi is one of the best, if not the best, header of the ball uh outside of the box, if you like, which isn't a great category to lead uh, the Bundesliga in, but it's something I guess. Um, especially last season, it, it felt like that was their uh, most successful attacking move to just lump it forward to Kayubi on the, on the left wing. And, and he can either uh, control the ball for players uh, coming up the pitch or, you know, flick it on towards, uh, Finn Bogason in this case, who has been running relatively hard in terms of his uh, finishing. So I don't know how much individual quality there actually is in Augsburg's team. Uh, I haven't seen too much of them this season. But uh, just the way they are playing above expectations so far this season will also mean that they'll enter the game with a lot of confidence. Uh, and as I said, with Dortmund playing so many more games uh, than than Augsburg in a relatively short span of uh, of time, I think it's going to be a very tough game.
1: Yeah, I, I have to agree with you there. Finn uh you know, he's got a lot of speed. He he is known to fluff his lines a few times, uh, so hopefully that will return. Ronnie Kadira is actually playing quite well for Augsburg. Uh, they picked him up from Leipzig coming into the season. Of course, he's Sammy Kadira's younger brother. Uh, Manuel Baum historically has always been a fan of the four-four-two and and midfield pressing and that physical style that you talked about. I think it, it really depends. Well, first of all, taking everything into account that everyone's going to be healthy and depending on who plays against Real Madrid tomorrow or today probably when this comes out, this has probably come out on the Tuesday. We're recording on a Monday. It'll be interesting to see. Do you think it would behoove Bosch and Dortmund to maybe send out someone like Castro who's maybe a little bit more of a physical presence than, say a Götze or a Kagawa in that sense that you have that in, in the central area, knowing that he's not the playmaker and you're any one of those players, or do you think don't want to try to match physicality with physicality?
0: Yeah, I think all things being equal, they would probably just uh, pick their best 11, which in my opinion, as we talked about earlier would include the and Götze in those positions, but you obviously have to take the uh, real match into account and, Presumably, uh, at least one of Dahoud or Go- and Götze will will start. I would assume that at least. So uh, it might be asking too much of them. I mean, is a very young guy, which sometimes gets forgotten, and, and Götze, with his issues, hasn't been playing. Uh, you know the, the, that three day rhythm, if you like. So I think it makes some sense, uh depending on the the real match, and obviously. Uh, the the lineup there, the outcome, how physically taxing that game actually is, but in theory it would make sense to uh, bring Castro in there because, as you said, he's he's quite combative uh, in comparison to to Goethe. I think Dahoud's actually uh, it, it's an underrated quality of him. He has a bit of a of a tough streak to him. He he likes to uh, you know get in the tackles and and whatever, but. Uh, certainly this game might call for uh, freshness above everything else. So it sounds like we have
1: Stefan back. Stefan, what do you expect ahead of uh, or in the Augsburg match with Dortmund? How do you think Dortmund should approach that match?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I would totally agree with Lars. Uh, Just get as many fresh legs in the lineup as possible because Augsburg so far have proven very well that they can defend and that they can counterattack as well. So yeah. And I I think I would I would say Manuel Baum and his team they have shown pretty well that they can analyze their opponents very well and find weak spots. And so I I mean they will have a whole week to prepare prepare for this match. Dortmund do not have it, so yeah. Go all Maximum rotation as you can. And, uh, Dortmund should, should have a very tough match on their hands. I, I don't think it's going to be, uh, an easy match. So I don't know, Matthias, if you want to say the T word on the show, trap game. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's going to be an easy win for Dortmund. But, uh, so far, at least they have shown that their rotation works. So I agree with last. Just, uh, go with freshness above all.
1: I, uh- I don't think it's the trap game. I think the trap game was the one that we just won 6-1. Honestly, that was the one that I saw marked on the calendar and went, ooh, that could that that could be the one that that uh, trips Dortmund up just because at home you expect to win. that played really well against Leipzig and they just didn't show up. I think this one will be difficult, but I don't think it's a, a trap game in that sense. Um we will now, I guess, look at what we think the scoreline prediction will be for that. And uh, Stefan, since you didn't talk for a while until just now, I will let you pick first. And please don't let it be another draw.
2: Well, I guess, uh, as you said, it's not a trap game. Dortmund will lose. But uh, no, in all honesty, I think Dortmund will just be fine with a 3-1 win or so.
0: Uh, Last, what about yourself? I don't see... Uh that many goals in this game i think I, I don't i don't have the stats in front of me but it feels like uh, games against augsburg are always either very easy for dortmund or very difficult and this seems to me to fall into the second category so i'm going with a one all draw
1: i am going to go with another clean sheet because uh, i think augsburg are going to look more at not conceding rather than scoring a lot and uh, they're not known to be the rampant goal scorers. So I'm going to go with a two nil victory to Borussia Dortmund. Now, Stefan, we will move on to Real Madrid. Of course, the, the crown jewel match here right at the end. Of course, make sure everybody sticks around for prime time. <laughs> um, Dortmund will be hosting one of their favorite Champions League opponents in Real Madrid. Six matches Real Madrid has played in Dortmund in the Champions League since 1997-1998 season. They have yet to win three draws, three losses, of course. The 4-1 loss in the 2012-2013 semifinals uh where Lewandowski scored four goals uh, last season Dortmund also uh holding Real Madrid to two draws actually both home and away Stefan Real Madrid are not coming in the best form in terms of goal scoring defensively they're okay but they they're having a problem scoring goals Dortmund are not having a problem scoring goals right now what do you expect or Hope for or dread, depending on if you're optimistic, pessimistic, or however, <laughs> uh, for this match against Real Madrid. The reigning well, the reigning champions, I may add.
2: Yeah, they won it twice in a row, which no team did before, which is I guess greatest achievement ever. Whatever. Um <laughs> I think that Bruce Dortmund will be the perfect slump buster for Real's stuttering attack because what Gladbach could have done but didn't is something that Real Madrid will and that is expose Dortmund's high line high pressing line and uh, I have a very good imagination of how Real Madrid in the forms of Cristiano Ronaldo, Asensio and Gareth Bale will just outpace Dortmund defenders left right and center and create enough opportunities to score like three or four goals I'm I'm pretty confident that Real Madrid will be able to do that given on what Dortmund showed against Gladbach and I am yeah very certain almost that Lukas Piszczek will have a terrible game because he never really looked good in these high profile matches didn't look good in the Super Cup he didn't look good against Tottenham where he uh yeah his misplaced pass led to the first counter-attack and, uh, yeah, he also had a real bad giveaway in Gladbach. So I have a hunch that Pishak's bad form will continue against Real Madrid and against Cristiano Ronaldo. Of course, Karim Benzema is not around this time, but, um, yeah, I, I'm singing the, uh, doomsday. I don't know. Jingles here for Dortmund because I don't, I don't see them, uh, beating Real Madrid in this one. And we all know Dortmund after losing away at Wembley are dire for at least one point, but I just don't, don't see it. Not, not that I don't see Dortmund scoring in this one. I think they'll be good for two or three goals, maybe even because they have a potent attack themselves, but I think they will just make too many mistakes and will be punished by Real Madrid who are usually very ruthless in their corner attack.
1: Uh, what, now, ab- <laughs> you guys proved me wrong. What about you, las Are you just as dark and dire as Stefan?
0: In terms of the result, uh, I think it's difficult to envision anything other than they are punishing Dortmund for mistakes, which teams, uh, apart from Spurs haven't done. Uh, I don't know if that's going to end up in a, 5-4 win for Real or maybe another two-all draw. But uh, I think in terms of, you know, just the 90 minutes in a vacuum, I think we're in for a treat. I think this is going to be a fantastic match of end-to-end football. Uh, uh, Matthias, you mentioned that Real have the yips in front of goal. I think uh, just like Stefan, that's going to be no issue uh, at the Westfalen Westfalenstadion uh, on Tuesday uh just because they have the the perfect attacking talent to uh make use of the spaces Dortmund have offered even teams such as uh, Freiburg before they were uh, down to 10 men so uh you know even without benzema they they can either play borja mayoral who didn't do much for Wolfsburg, but is actually pretty talented up front or, uh, which might be more likely just stick Ronaldo up there, who's always scoring against Dortmund and then maybe move Asensio to the left wing or so. And then he can bang in a, a screamer from, from uh, 25 yards or so. I think it's, it's a very, very tasty matchup of two teams with a lot of attacking talent and some suspect defending issues, even though Real personnel wise have a great uh, defense, but it seems especially against Dortmund, you know, Kayla Navas flaps around a bit more than he does as, uh, as per usual. Uh, Sergio Ramos, oftentimes a bit, a bit of a headless chicken against Dortmund. It feels like almost uh, Varane hasn't always looked great against Aubameyang, even though he's one of the few defenders who can sprint with him. So just, I don't, I, I'm, I'm, Probably just going to watch the game and not think about the the consequences with Spurs presumably beating Upwell uh, in the other match of the the group stage. I, I'm I'm just going to enjoy the 19 minutes and and what I assume will be a, a a nice attacking spectacle. And I think uh I said after the the Tottenham match if if this is a season of transition in Europe and Dortmund drop dropped down to the Europa League. It, it it wouldn't be the end of the world uh, for me i think this season dortmund should really focus on the bundesliga because it seems there might actually be a title race this season with uh, bayern not looking overly convincing and you know the entire ancelotti thing uh, swelling uh, up to the point where everybody kind of assumes he's going to be gone uh, by may uh, at the latest so I think if this is a season, as I said, that Dortmund don't make it to the to the knockout stages, that isn't uh, the the worst thing, in my opinion.
2: I I would actually a- agree, and uh, if I may add quickly, we've seen it in a two hour draw at the Westfalenstadion last season, where I took a great Andre Schüller goal to to draw level in the end. Said so season Sidan was not afraid to. Uh, yeah, basically set up his side very defensively and just wait for corner attacks and for Dortmund to make mistakes. And I think right now they uh, are poised to make some more mistakes as they did in that game where Dortmund looked overall very mature and uh, still got uh, yeah punished for for a couple of mistakes. So uh, yeah, I think I think uh, with Sidan and Real Madrid being very comfortable on playing on the counter attack, it's it doesn't bode well for Dortmund. Sorry, Matthias. Well, I mean
1: we've had your horrible pessimism that i'm just gonna ignore um (laughs) last is realism so i guess now it's my my time for for optimism um a few little things to keep in mind i have watched real madrid this season Uh, they have won three times drawn twice and lost once so overall not a good start to the la liga season they're already seven points behind barcelona so Unless they win both clasicos and Barcelona stumbled, title race is almost done in Spain at that point. Um, and they they aren't scoring goals. I watched the match against Deportivo Alaves, who are winless bottom of La Liga, and they had their opportunities. They actually drew level. Um, I almost said Barcelona, <laughs> Real Madrid uh, fluffing their lines quite often. Now the overall record is bad, but they've actually won every single match they've played away from home so far. For me, I also see goals in this on both ends, also because, and this is important, they will not have Marcelo at left back. And overall, when we look at the attacking prowess for Dalton this season, it seems the a lot of the stellar um, assists and so on have come from the right side, whether it's Yarmolenko, Pulisic, or even Obama Young's assist for um, for Philip against Gladbach. So I think uh, they are definitely vulnerable. Real Madrid, all the pressure is on Real Madrid, especially after not performing well in La Liga so far. They're going to feel even more pressure to do something in Dortmund, something they've never done before, and that is win. Um. There's some discontent. It's still a little open whether or not Tony Kroos will play. As Hidan said, he may, he may not, doesn't know just yet. And, um, I, I think this match will be won on the wings. Uh, like you said, I, I think Dortmund obviously are susceptible to the counter attacks. And, you know, you're not playing against Andre Hahn or Marcel Risse. You know, you're playing against Gareth Bale and Cristiano Ronaldo. Probably the two best uh, attacking wingers who can score goals in football right now. So, uh, I think Dortmund can come away with uh, at least a draw. I think I'm not even quite optimistic enough to give Dortmund a win in this match. So, I'm going to start off with the predictions here and I'm going to go to all. Lars, um you think Dortmund can snatch a point?
0: It, they can, but uh, I think you 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 said it was my realism, and and that shines through in my prediction. I'm going with a very realistic four three win for Real.
1: And I think well, Stefan's going to go with a five nil victory for Real Madrid, right?
2: No, of course not. <laughs> I I'm maybe a little more pessimistic, although I don't think I am, but. Uh, At least my prediction is that I'm predicting a 4-2 win for Dortmund, uh, (laughs) for Real Madrid.
1: (laughs) A little, little and slip there that, that we will. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, so Stefan, how do you think Dortmund, knowing who played and knowing how Peter Bosch likes his rotation and Götze was at the press conference today? Who do you think is going to
2: start for Dortmund against Real Madrid? Well, although I would like to see Weigel, I just don't see him starting another game after Gladbach, so I think it's going to be Nuri Shine in midfield, Mario Götze again, and then it's really interesting if it's Castro or Dahut. I actually think that the uh, partnership of Götze, Dahut, and Weigel has worked extremely well against Gladbach, and I think in the future we will see more of that, but uh, I can see Bosch going with Castro there, so I would expect Shine, Götze, and Castro to start in midfield, front three. I think there's little doubt about Yamolenko returning into, uh, the starting up lineup. Then, uh, Aubameyang, of course, is uh, given. And then I think Pulisic will also stay in there. So, uh, yeah. And in the back line, I don't know. Maybe we'll see the same that played against Gladbach with Toljan on the left, uh, and Socrates in top rack. In the center, although I would like to see Toprak and Batra for once, but I don't know if that's something uh, you would try out for 90 minutes against Real Madrid. So it's going to be, uh, yeah, Piszczek too.
1: Last, before we end our preview of Real Madrid, what do you think is kind of the, the key area? Now, obviously, we're going to be susceptible to counterattacks and they will happen. I think that's a given. But what do you think is the key area that Dortmund have to win in order to get a chance of getting a draw or winning the match?
0: It's a bit of a lame answer, I guess, but set pieces, I think, uh, especially last season, uh, Real had all those tight wins, especially in La Liga, but also scored a lot of goals of set pieces in the in the Champions League, if my memory serves me right. So, you know, when when you're up against such a... High quality team. The, the first thing I always want to see is don't give away any easy goals. Don't make it too easy on the opponent. So don't allow Sergio Ramos uh, a free header. Uh, don't let, I don't know, uh, Ronaldo be alone at the, at the, uh, at the far post and all those things. So if you don't concede of a set piece, uh, that's the first step. And, and I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not even going as far as saying Dortmund should score offset pieces because that doesn't happen all too often. But I think, as I said, if, if you can keep them out from all those corners and the, the free kicks, Piszczek and Zagadu slash Torian will probably have to give away against, uh, the, the incredible wing play of Real, then, then that might be the difference between my, uh, gloomy 4-3 and a glorious 3-3.
1: All right, that's fair enough. Uh, do you guys have anything more to add to the Real Madrid take match? Take out Modric. Modric. Well, yeah. Aside from that. <laughs> yeah. Well. Good luck. Good yeah. luck with that. Good luck with that. Yeah. That's kind of like Latbak being able. Well, to Well, back out in the Gretzio. day,
2: it was easier with with Xabi Alonso. Like, right, That was uh, the the key under uh, Jurgen Klopp back in the day when he just took Xabi Alonso out of the match pretty much, and that staffed Real Madrid pretty well but nowadays with Casemiro, Kroos and Modric in there it's not as easy anymore
1: that is correct it's kind of like Luf saying hey we get rid of Messi we can beat Argentina Um, and it's kind of the same way there but no Xabi Alonso it's significantly different um, Real Madrid than when Mourinho was there so are there any other topics you guys want to discuss here before we head out
0: Uh, I just want to predict that because of Real's midfield three, I think uh, Shinji Kagawa is actually going to start. And I think uh, he's going to have the unenviable task of running at the base midfielder all the time, basically. So whether that's uh, Kroos, Modric or Casemiro, I think he's going to give uh, an all-out performance for 60 minutes and then be taken off.
1: Stefan, anything to add on your side?
2: No, I think that's a solid prediction from Lars. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, don't 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 at me if Dortmund do well. <laughs> oh no, worries!
1: I think you will be the first one to be happy if you are completely incorrect so yeah uh,
2: I've been I've been uh, wrong before, and I will be wrong again. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> let's just hope you're really wrong <laughs>
1: tomorrow. um, so with that, I think we can head on out last. thank you for joining. How can people get in touch with you and
0: uh I guess read
1: your great work?
0: They can follow me on Twitter at Lars Polman and my written work right now mega exclusively on yellowwallpot.com. so uh in lieu of payment maybe you wanna slip a few bucks to our uh patreon site huh
1: there you go there you go very subtle nice well done uh stefan how can people get in touch with you and catch up on your latest football writings
2: Well, they can uh, find me at Stefan Butzko and if they want to read my theory on why Real Madrid will absolutely pounce Dortmund tomorrow, they can do that on ESPN FC. So yeah, thanks for (laughs) slipping me into this show, although it was a bit chaotic, happy editing on my side, I guess. But uh, thanks a lot for doing it so well again, Matthias, and of course, as always, Lars.
1: It's almost like an old shoe, really. You don't, you don't forget how to ride a bicycle, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, myself, you can find me on Twitter as well, at Matthias Um, and maybe in future, a few more written pieces here and there for the Yellow Wall and a few other websites. You can find all of us on Twitter or at least the entire show, um, at Yellow Wall Pod. You can also get us on Facebook, Yellow Wall Pod. Go to yellowwallpod.com. For the latest writings, you can catch the uh, show on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And yes, we thank all of you who have contributed on Patreon forward slash yellow wall. And uh, please go there again if you would be so kind. And I guess that concludes it for this week. And until next time, please stay safe and we will talk to you soon.